Al Jazeera podcast. Israel's war on Gaza has brought catastrophe to 2.3 million Palestinians. Hundreds of thousands have been forced from their homes, some left with just a plastic tent for shelter. Already weakened by war, what fresh dangers does winter bring for the people of Gaza? I'm Fully Batibo, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests now for today's Inside Story. In Khan Yunis in southern Gaza is Mansour Schumann, a Palestinian-Canadian who's chosen to stay in Gaza to tell the world about what's happening there. In Ramallah in the occupied West Bank is Marwan Jilani, Director General of the Palestine Red Crescent Society and a former Palestinian diplomat. And in Johannesburg is Dr. Mads Gilbert, a doctor and activist who's undertaken solidarity work with Palestinians since the 1970s. Gentlemen, thank you all for being on Inside Story. Thank you very much for joining us. Mansour in Gaza, let me start with you. You are in Khan Yunis in southern Gaza. Describe to us, if you will, the situation you find yourself in today as winter begins to set in in Gaza. Together with 1.5 million uh, refugees who have been displaced from Gaza City, the north of Gaza Strip, and different parts of bombarded houses here in the south, in Khan Yunis and in Rafah. We are currently living in subhuman conditions. Me, for example, I've been lucky. I've been had a tent made for me here in the media center where I am volunteering. However, others weren't as so. Uh, many people are living on the streets, living in playgrounds. Um, many have, have also lived in very crowded uh, schools which have turned into refugee centers where women and children cram into one classroom and the men stay outside. I've seen with my own eyes over the last three days several man-made tents that have been drifted and leaving the women and children and men cold and shivering. Mm. Right now it is being uh, the temperatures reaching uh, single-digit temperatures. Right. Hospitals are over how, how cold does it get in Gaza, Mansour? How would you normally prepare for winter in Gaza when there is no war? Uh, today, it's been a little bit warmer. Uh, in Gaza, uh, it might reach uh, around one or zero degrees, maybe negative one, negative two. It rarely snows. Uh, but the people normally would be inside their houses. They would, they would have heaters, electrical heaters, uh, heater fans, uh, etc. So they would able to keep warm within their houses. They would also have proper attire, proper clothing. However, given the numbers that have displaced, been displaced, leaving everything behind, uh, including their winter clothes over the last six weeks, you can see where things are right now. Yeah, a very dire situation you described there, Mansour. Uh, Marwan Jilani in Ramallah, let me come to you. Two-thirds of Gaza's population are estimated to have fled their homes. Many are in the south, as Mansour explained, they're living in makeshift tents. Um, how much worse are things going to get for these people as the winter sets in? Right now, it is quite a humanitarian catastrophe on, on all fronts not only for the people in the south who are overcrowded and, and as your previous guest said, more than 1.5 million displaced, but also for the hundreds of thousands who have remained in the north, 
living in destroyed homes, living in the streets, nowhere to shelter from the rain or the cold. Uh, mostly their, their homes are, are partially or totally damaged, not much belongings to keep warm, to keep their children, their elderly, and the sick warm and taken care of. In the South, we can't find even shelter for our own staff, for our own ambulance uh, uh, drivers and, and paramedics who have evacuated to the South. We are looking for places to host them when you have so many people out on the streets in shelters with no ceiling, or, uh, no roof on top of their heads, no proper attire. They were forced to leave only with what they have on in terms of clothes and, and just little personal uh, belongings. And it is getting cold, it is getting crowded. And with water, uh, uh, with water, rainwater, but also with the lack of sanitation, diseases are quite spread among yeah. the shelters and among those people. Let's find out from Dr. Mads Gilbert about the diseases that are proliferating in Gaza right now, Dr. Mads, and, and what new diseases could we see uh, as winter approaches in Gaza? Well, I think uh, both Mansoor and Marwan are uh, absolutely right. I think the most pressing problem from a medical point of view still is the security for the population because the bombing is increasing. And we just now got the very sad news of the bombing of the Alauda hospital and the killing of yet another doctor, Dr. Siad Tatri, pediatrician, as he was treating child, uh, child patients. So security is a, a major concern. Then I'm totally in agreement that this combination of lower temperature, precipitation, rain and wind, is a deadly threat to these 1.5 million. I come from Norway. I am very familiar with hypothermia as a medical, very dangerous uh, condition. And when you get wet and it's windy and the temperature, as the forecast says, drops down to 11, 12, 14 in the night, and you have this deadly combination of being wet, have wind and have low temperature, it does not take many hours for a child to get critically hypothermic. So that is a major threat to all these 1.5 million people, also the adults. And then, of course, it's water and food. Water is a critical, minimal resource. So before we even worry about diarrhea and other diseases, we have to, in some way, prevent that people are freezing to death and thirsting right. to death. And I'd like to read, uh, if I can just read to you, the, I got a message from a colleague in Kanyunis who's been working in uh, Al-Quds Hospital, and he wrote me yesterday and he said, quote, the situation is very bad. He's an anesthesiologist. The situation is very bad. Disease, famine, fear, and anxiety, lack of water. Gaza is slowly dying and awaits an unknown future. He's a very experienced doctor, and he sees what is around him as a disaster of major size because of these basic uh, things that are being denied the Palestinian people in Gaza. Dr. Mads, what kind of mitigation uh, methods from a medical point of view would you undertake under normal circumstances, you know, if there wasn't a war as the cold approaches in Gaza, mm -hmm. uh, the winter approaches? You've been there many times. What kind of mitigation efforts could you have taken? Well, first of all, human security, which is the, the main predictor of health. Human security, water and food must get in and we must have a ceasefire. And then I would put a large emphasis on getting shelter to get shelter from the wind and the precipitation, warm clothes, 
woolen blankets and enough food. But water, shelter and security are the dominating needs now. And then we should not forget that Israeli uh, occupation forces have diminished the number of hospitals in Gaza, according to WHO, from the 36 that were operating in uh, on October 8th to now 28 closed hospitals and only eight operative, two of them in the north, Elauda and, and the Indonesian hospital, and both being attacked. So the total structure, the infrastructure of the healthcare system in Gaza, both for those who may be having uh, war wounds, but also, as was mentioned, diabetic patients, hypertension, psychiatric patients, myocardial infarction, all the medical needs in a population of 2.2 million is does not have any uh, possibility to be met because Let's of this massive disruption. Let's let's discuss and take a closer look at, at why Israel has been targeting the medical system in Gaza. And I want to quote you an opinion piece uh, entitled, Let's Not Be Intimidated by the World, by retired Israeli Major General Jeora Eiland, who argues that all Palestinians in Gaza are legitimate targets and that a severe epidemic in Gaza will bring victory closer. Here's a quotation where he says exactly, the way to win the war faster and at a lower cost requires a system collapse on the other side and not the mere killing of more Hamas fighters. The international community, he says, warns us of a humanitarian disaster in Gaza and of severe epidemics. We must not shy away from this, as difficult as that may be. After all, severe epidemics in the south of the Gaza Strip will bring victory closer and reduce casualties among IDF soldiers. And not this is not about cruelty for cruelty's sake, since we don't support the suffering of the other side as an end but as a means. Marwan Gilani, when you hear such a quote, wh what do you make of it? Is Israel deliberately targeting Gaza's health system? Yes, when we hear these things and we hear little reaction to such statements, not only from ex-officials and generals, but also from current ministers, it is horrifying. It is horrifying that the world is silent on what many have described as a genocide against the Palestinian people in Gaza as, uh, as a whole. But let me also say that the destruction of the health sector was deliberate. It was deliberate targeting, first of all, accusations to justify, which have proven to be all wrong. They have accused us at Al-Quds Hospital, our hospital, that has harbored uh, fighters or had tunnels or whatsoever, and nothing of that is, is there. Uh, and I think the main purpose of destroying the health sector is because the health sector is, is a, a main pillar for the resilience of people, for the steadfastness of the people in Gaza to stay where they are. So destroy the health sector. People have nowhere to go to, to uh, treat a wound or a sickness, so they will have to be forced to go to the south. And that is, I think, the main intention behind the Israeli armies destruction, deliberate destruction of the health of the health sector. Let Dr. me just Matt. add one very quick point yeah, to, ahead, to what Mr. Matt, Dr. Matt said about the need. I think it is ironic that the whole world is pushing for more humanitarian aid, especially when UNRWA decided to stop when there were no fuel, 
but they have they have said nothing about that hospitals have not uh, 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 received a drop of fuel which is essential for the life-saving people in the hospitals so it is okay to to for people in the hospitals to die but we will provide you with assistance with food and water to come to come in and this is quite cynical and ironic yeah. I, I find fuel fuel is indeed crucial, Doctor Mads. I, I want I want to bring you in quickly to react to uh, the the Israelis uh, targeting uh, hospitals. Uh, Marwan says this is deliberate. Do you agree? Well, there is no doubt. The numbers. This is the latest report from the health cluster, and they document 152 attacks on healthcare in Gaza during the last five weeks. I have been there for so many years. They've always attacked healthcare. And this quote that you read, it's fascism, full stop. It's cruel fascism, and it's a, it's a crime against humanity. You know, they cynically calculate that people shall get sick and die from otherwise curable diseases and wounds, and they have been systematically attacking healthcare providers, hospitals, primary healthcare clinics, ambulances. This is their modus operandi. I just went through my, my files and I read a report from 22 that documented 800 attacks on healthcare. Also in the West Bank, don't forget, they do the same. So this is, this is really a systematic, cynical way to kill the Palestinian people. It is the, the politics of elimination, nothing less. And don't forget, I mentioned, they have destroyed 28 hospitals in Gaza. They are killing people by denying them healthcare. Mansour uh, in Gaza, your thoughts about what we've just heard. A and talk to us about the needs of the people in southern Gaza today. As we mentioned, many moved from north to south. The south is very much congested today. Uh, healthcare facilities there also overwhelmed. What, what do people need? With regards to the uh, what was said by the Israeli official, it is uh, very disappointing, but not surprising. I mean, as your guest said, they've done this repeatedly for many decades now, targeting civilians and civilian infrastructures uh, since 1948, 1967. And now they're trying to repeat another uh, refugee crisis by forcing, trying to force the people of Gaza to move to the Egyptian peninsula, Sinai Peninsula. And uh, the people here, uh, despite all of these challenges, are remaining steadfast. Their morale is high. They believe that we're on the right side of history. And despite everything we are going through, we want to remain strong. However, uh, as you can see, for example, I'm not wearing any winter clothes right now. I haven't been able to find any in the shops. So the Rafah border needs to open as soon as possible for more trucks with the right quantity and quality of things that we actually need. Fuel is number one. Number two are things related to winter clothes. Things related to winter clothes. Uh, I was talking to Dr. Mohammed Qindil and Dr. Mohammed Zakout, both the director of the hospitals here in Gaza Strip and the emergency sector director here. They both said that their staff, their doctors, nurses are running 24-7. They have run out of medical supplies. They are asking as soon as possible for a field hospital to be in Gaza fully equipped with doctors, supplies, mm. uh, nurses, etc., in order to try to avoid any kind of medical emergency or disease spreading amongst the civilians here.
Marwan, uh, in Ramallah, I know you've been coordinating uh, some of the aid operations. Before this war, some 500 aid trucks used to go into Gaza. W what is, w you know, w what's the latest as far as aid going in, whether through the Rafah crossing or elsewhere? And what are the most immediate needs right now? You mentioned fuel, of course, but as winter comes to Gaza, what, what would you like to see these aid, aid trucks carry? We are prioritizing right now uh, things that are needed for the people to keep warm. So winter clothes, uh, tarpaulins to cover, you know, those uh, people who are staying in partially destruction, destructed, destroyed homes. Uh, we are asking for blankets and, and mattresses in order to provide for the people who are also staying out in, uh, in the streets. But we are also we're also asking, uh, working with many partners, uh, many streets in Gaza and many local partners to provide more shelters, schools, uh, community buildings, public uh, buildings, in order to accommodate all those people who are forced to, to, to flee uh, to, the, to the south. But at the same time, we are also establishing a field hospital. We, we are waiting in the next two days to establish a field hospital in partnership with the Qatar Red Crescent. Uh, we are expanding, the, together with the Ministry of Health, the number of beds in the hospitals in the south. We need at least a, a minimum of 500 more beds in terms of capacity for those hospitals to deal with the influx of the injured and the, the wounded and the sick that are coming from the north. So we are we are prioritizing the items that are coming in, and we are also expanding the health sector in order to deal with the increased demand on, on the life-saving uh, health services. All right, Dr. Mads, your thoughts. What is the required humanitarian response today? Also, there's a lot of talk about a ceasefire, perhaps, in the coming hours, uh, humanitarian uh, corridors and so on. How soon, how desperately needed is this today in Gaza? Time is so critical. Every hour counts now. Every hour counts. And um, I agree with Mansour. The healthcare workers in Gaza, the Palestinian healthcare workers, they have written their names with golden letters into the history books. They are extremely brave, and so are the people of Gaza. What is worrisome, really, and very upsetting, is that the world leaders, the European leaders and the American leaders, they are sitting ringside and watching this disaster unfold day by day. And the numbers of killed and dying from wounds that could have been treated are mounting day by day as the Israeli attack forces are diminishing, destroying, and attacking healthcare all over Gaza. And mm. they do nothing. One nation did a brave thing. Jordan flew in two Hercules aircraft from their air force and dropped the field hospital and field medical equipment. Yeah. Why, and why, why is such an operation not being repeated, why, you wonder? What, 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 yeah, I mean, the point is to use this, this verb, you just used it, allowed to get in. Why is it that Israel, as the only nation on earth, can say stop the international humanitarian um, uh, convoy, the international humanitarian system, does not apply to the people of Palestine? Why is that accepted? Why is there no more breaches of this killing siege? Because this this siege are killing this is siege is killing people as we speak. So I wonder why why is it that not more governments are trying actively to break the siege?
And I, on a positive side, healthcare workers all over the world are now standing up and saying, protect the healthcare in Gaza, protect the patients. I participated in a demonstration today in, mm -hmm. uh, in Cape Town, a large demonstration outside the biggest pediatric hospital. Hundreds of healthcare workers do the moral duty that the leaders in Europe and the United States don't do, namely stand up to pro pro protect okay. patients and healthcare workers. I'm going to come to you for the final question, Mansoor. As we've discussed throughout this show, uh, the approaching winter season is likely to make an already dire situation in Gaza even worse. What is your message today to the world? Uh, first, I, on behalf of the Palestinian people here, I want to thank all the free people of the world for standing up besides the, the being on the right side of history, to stand behind, behind free Palestine and the Palestinian cause in general. Without their efforts, without their voices, we wouldn't reach, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to remain steadfast like we are right now. We ask them to continue to donate their time, their efforts, um, the, any medical supplies. Hopefully with this ceasefire, we can start a new chapter in the life of the people here in Gaza and for the medical teams here as well. We can continue to treat the hundreds of patients that have come to us from the Indonesian hospital, Al Shifa hospital, and many other Gaza hospitals here. And we look forward to a more bright future in the upcoming days. Mansoor, thank you very much. We're going to leave it there. Thank you all. Mansoor, Shuman, Marwan, Jilani, Dr. Mads, Gilbert, thank you for joining us on Inside Story. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Omikul Sum Sharif, Veronica Pedrosa, and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Renjit Kurian. The program was edited by Ahmed Eftaga, Zena Badra, and Joda Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Wednesday for our next edition. Coming up on the take. A lawsuit against U.S. President Joe Biden accuses him of complicity in genocide in Gaza. Will it succeed? That's The Take from Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.